Good morning. Welcome to part two of looking at the government in the Bible, and, and more specifically the New Testament. Um, today we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and the Roman government. I'm, I'm going to explain. We're going to read through Jesus and how he interacts with the Roman occupying government. If you haven't listened to the first uh, part of the series, go back and listen to it. It's the background on how we get to where we are and the oppression of the Roman government and everything that, that goes along with us for context. We, we want to see it in context because so often we read our Bibles outside of context and apply it to me and my life and today in too direct of a manner. And we miss what's really going on in in uh, the near Middle East in a whole when we when we do that. So last week we, we looked at the, the background. Uh, the next four weeks are going to be uh, looking at Jesus interacting with the government. So this first week will be Jesus interacting with the Roman government specifically. Next week we're going to look at Jesus uh, interacting with the Israelite government that still is allowed to meet and hold court, as it were, and still sentence people to death, or try to. Uh, and then week three, and, well, week four and week five will be looking at Jesus's trial at the end of his earthly life. Um, the week four will be the Israelite trial, and then week five will be the Roman trial. And why, why do we want to look at Jesus? Why are we looking just focused at on him and his life and how he walks? Well, so the majority of Bible-believing Christians believe that Jesus is God because that's what he says. That's what he reveals himself uh, to being. So we, we look at God for the example of how we should walk in this world as we saw, see how he walked in this world. And he, he goes through, we'll look at this, and kind of corrects some things in the Sermon on the Mount. We'll look at one thing that, that he's talking to. But 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 God is is walking on earth. He's He's the best example to look at um, and even this morning I was reading in Matthew 26 50 and 54 that Jesus is uh, here in Matthew 50 but Jesus said to him this is right before he was arrested friend why have you come then they came and laid hands on Jesus and took him and suddenly one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew his sword struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear but Jesus said to him put your sword in its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword or do you think that I cannot now pray to my father and he will provide me with more than 12 legions of angels how then could the scriptures be fulfilled that it must happen thus so we believe God we believe Jesus who is God has the ability to call down angels to to right wrongs to protect him to to change the course of history and here Jesus says put away your sword I have the ability to but I'm not going to do it this way and so he sets that example for us and we see God and that's why we're going to study what Jesus says and what Jesus does in the Gospels for the first four or the next four weeks. Um, and that was again Matthew uh, twenty six fifty through fifty four. Um, I'm going to read from the New King James. It's a translation I prefer. I've I've done lots of research and um, dug into it, and that's just the translation I'm going to use. I'm going to try to quote the scripture that I'm using before I read it and after I read it. I listen to a lot of sermons and podcasts and. YouTube videos, and they'll quote it, and it'll be so fast, and we'll be in halfway into it, I'm like, wait, where was this? So I'm going to try to quote the scripture I'm reading after it, so if you're taking notes or you want to follow along, I'm going to try to go a little quickly, but I'll quote the scripture before and after the reading. Uh, we're going to depend a lot on the, we're going to start in Matthew, first, first book in the New Testament, and I'm going to add in a couple extra stories at the end of uh, going through Matthew, kind of verse by verse. Um, write down questions that you might have. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I completely just glossed over this one thing that relates to today, Roman government and how Jesus is, is interacting. There's always going to be someone that says, yeah, but what about? 
write that question down, send it to me. I'd love to know uh, what I've missed, what I've forgotten. And I'm aware that there'll be many people like, well, yeah, what about the Old Testament and the, the rules and the laws? And there's a lot that can be said about that. There's a there's a whole government system back there that, that we don't have in the New Testament. It's not working the way that God has prescribed it to be. And we're just going to look and see how, how it's working and how Jesus is interacting with it. A lot of the questions uh, we've already been—I've already been asked—and that are very interesting to think about. And I'm not going to give specific answers for these necessarily, um, but some of them: Should we fight off oppression? Should we fight off our suffering? Should we, you know, turn and rebel? Should we let our kids live in in war zones and send them to die in battles, and and wars and and what do we think about capital punishment? How, how do we respond to someone that wants to take the life of another person? And then, what's the best kind of government? What does God prefer to be the best kind of government? These are all, like, really good questions. And we're going to see, we're going to look at how Jesus walks, and, and hopefully that will answer some of your questions over the next four weeks, and the next ten, ten sessions, or however it is, because we're going to look at Jesus, uh, we're going to look at uh, the apostles, disciples in the book of Acts, and then we're going to look at everything in the in the letters, the epistles that come after the book of Acts, for full context of not just Jesus walking, but, oh yeah, he's God, but what about us? Because always the question, and like, yes, he is God, and he has the ability, and he has humbled himself, and he's got power on high, but, but we're just men, so what we should do something different. So we're going to look at that. Um... I want to remind you last week that like my crowning verse for you to remember that is how we should interact and walk with the government is in Joshua twenty four fifteen. Um, it's really the second half, but I'm going to read the whole verse. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which are your father served that were on their side of the river or the gods of Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. And so that's really my starting place when I come to uh, thinking about the government and what we should do in this world and everything. This is, this is your, your crowning verse that, that should lead you and guide you in your life as of uh, this study with me. Um, another background before I jump into Matthew. Oh, that was <laughs> Joshua twenty four fifteen. Uh, another little bit of background. Uh, we're going to hop in and look at a verse in Acts, or a couple verses in Acts 17, 24 through 27, to set the stage of where countries come from, where nationalities come from, where people come from, and and just set the stage a little more before we hop in. It says in Acts 17, 24 through 27, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needs anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwelling, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Acts seventeen twenty-four through 27. And so we see here, Paul is talking to the Stoics, the, the philosophers of, of his day, and he's telling them that God made all the nations from one blood, meaning, you know, Adam, eventually Noah. And and God sets up and predetermined their every nation's times and boundaries. And so within that context, we we come to Matthew. We're going to read through 14 verses, 14 sections um, I'm read a little bit more before. For context, I don't really enjoy doing like a topical study. Uh, I like to do very much in context, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. And I encourage you to read your Bible every day because it is so important for the way that we we learn and understand and live with God. It's so important to us that we we should not neglect any of that. Now. I'm going to start with prayer, and then we're going to read the verses. I'll give a little commentary, and we'll just go through them and see where we end up. 
more gracious God, thank you for setting the boundaries, the, the places that we live and dwell and work and everything that you provide for us is good, Lord. I pray that you would give us understanding and ears to hear and hearts to understand what you're trying to tell us through the scriptures. And God, I pray that we would see who you are, see your character, see what you're doing as you're walking on the earth and how you interact with people like us. <laughs> Thank you for the life that you did give for us, even though we are sinners, even though we're far from you and we don't know hardly what to pray, Lord God, I, I pray that you would be with those that hear this study and, and prick their hearts and help them seek to learn more about you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen. All right. So I tried to break this into like different categories of, you know, what what does how does Jesus interact with the uh, Roman law? How does Jesus interact with Roman uh, servants, like soldiers and tax collectors? And then uh, how does Jesus interact with, like, citizenship? Uh, what are our rights and our uh, our protections that we have? And, and I might mention that slowly as we go through this, but, but for this, we're just... I may come back to it later, but for this, we're just going to read the scriptures and put them into context and just see what they have to say. So our first one is Matthew 5, 38 through 42. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, but I tell you not to resist an evil person. But whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks you, and from him who wants to borrow you, do not turn away. This is Matthew five thirty-eight through 42. This is a section in the Sermon on the Mount, one of my favorite sections, one of my favorite teachings that Jesus gives. He gives like this very comprehensive, like, this is it. And he's correcting a lot of what people had misunderstood. It's an eye for an eye, for a tooth for a tooth. Um, you know, get get even is what, what most people understand that as. And as I was studying through and I was looking at it, we see that an eye for an eye and tooth for the tooth is limiting what people are to do to each other. As I've got kids, as many people have kids, uh, one kid punches the other kid because of whatever. And so that kid punches them back. They're even now. And, and so they should stop their conflict now that they're even, but that's not how we humans work. They're going <laughs> to continually punching. It's going to escalate and escalate and escalate. And so Jesus, well, God, back in the Old Testament, who is Jesus, gives us the eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, to limit what we should be, you know, retaliating to each other with. Um, I find that very interesting. He he would rather us have mercy. He'd rather us not, not take that eye. He'd rather us not take that tooth. He'd rather us not take revenge, as we, we read that, that God is the one that takes revenge, not us. Do not resist an evil person. That one's a hard verse to swallow. That's a hard thing to to, to do. Well, we're not supposed to resist. Uh, whoever slapped you on the right cheek, turn the other to him also. And so we see the right cheek is... This slap is not necessarily a punch, but more of a backhanded slap because to hit someone on the right cheek... They're either hitting with their left hand or it's a backhanded slap. So we see this as more of an insult. As I understand the verse, as if I needed to hit someone on the right cheek, it would be a backhand rather than like an open palm slap. So this is an insult that I think he's talking about. And if anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. Go beyond, give more to the person that wants to sue you talking about Roman laws. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with them too. We, in English, we quote this one often, I think, without understanding that the Romans, while they were taking over countries, they had this forced conscription where a Roman soldier any could, could say, hey, carry my luggage for uh, one mile. And whoever it was was obligated to do that. They were... And, uh, at the cost of their, their life, uh, I read that they, they take their sword and put it on the shoulder and say, you're going to carry my stuff for a mile. And so that, that 
that's a inconvenience to say the least. Mostly, if you'll think about it, two people don't meet going in the same direction. It's not like, oh yeah, I'm going this direction anyway. Uh, I'll take this with me. Sure, I'll do that. It's usually you meet someone going the opposite way. So you'll actually have to turn around and go back the way you came to follow this instruction. And, and you don't just go one mile because you're not going on the direction that you're, you were headed. You're actually having to go one mile back the way you came and then another mile back the way you're, you were going. So it actually inconveniences you two miles. But Jesus is saying, don't just go one mile, go two miles with him. And he's saying, yes, there's this law that the Romans have, have compelled us to do. And Jesus is saying, look. It's inconvenient, I know, but but I want you to go two miles. I want you to go beyond what they would expect. And I, th- I think he wants us to talk to those people, to share share the gospel with them. I don't think, I know. That that's what Jesus wants us to do. Go, therefore, and make disciples. And uh, just the, the question as I was doing the study last week was like, what law is there now that that I can fulfill and go beyond fulfilling it to to burden myself so that I can share the gospel with other people and what what should I do how how should I walk within the laws to to share with other people to let them know that that I care and that God cares for them and it's just interesting um, so this is one of those those law teachings that Jesus has that was Matthew five thirty eight through forty two in the Sermon on the Mount. Next, we've got Matthew eight five through thirteen, one of my favorite stories, um, because it's talking about people like me. <laughs> this is uh, Jesus heals the centurion, Matthew eight five through thirteen. Now, when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, "Lord, my servant is lying at home, paralyzed, dreadfully tormented." And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I am not worthy that you should come under my roof, but only speak a word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. To my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you that, Many will come from east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed from that same hour. That's Matthew 8, 5 through 13. I love this story because this is one of the places that it says in verse 10 that Jesus marveled. Do you, get, do you get that? Like God, creator of the universe, marveled at someone. And this someone wasn't a devout Pharisee or Sadducee or someone that had done all of the law perfectly. So they say, this is a centurion. He works for the Roman government. He's not just working for the Roman government. He has a, somewhere between 60 and 100 soldiers under him. He's a commander of men for the occupying army. And and he has heard of Jesus. He comes to him seeking for his um, servant to be healed. And, and so we see Jesus' first interaction in the scriptures dealing with someone that belongs to the enemy's team that's forcibly occupying their country. And he's amazed by him. Matthew is written to the, the Israelites to, to show that Jesus is God, the Messiah, and and here they paint the centurion, this Gentile. He has to be a Gentile, working for the Roman government as, as a soldier. They paint him as having great faith. And it's contrasted with, eventually, the, the faith of, of, of the Israelites, who don't have this great faith. He says he hadn't found any of it in all of it. Israel, he says. Gee, God is saying that there is no one with such great faith in Israel. The people that have had the law, the children, the blood children of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Like he marvels. And the only other time, I'll mention that I like this, I love this, that the only other time Jesus marvels is at the the unbelief uh, of, of the Israelites later on when he's going through uh, his hometown area because he can't do very many miracles and very many heal. He just heals a few people. Well, praise the Lord. Amazing. 
But we see Jesus dealing with this servant of the Roman government, the centurion. And because of his belief, because of his, his faith, Jesus heals his servant. Uh, and we see Jesus just doing crazy, unbelievable things with people that you would think you shouldn't be talking to, that you shouldn't be uh, healing, showing mercy to. But we see Jesus is full of mercy and compassion, even for the occupying force, even for people that that might eventually um, nail him to a cross. So here, here's a good story. If you want to know how, how Jesus feels about the occupying force, here's one of the stories. All right, next we've got um, Luke 7, 1 through 10, which is a, a very similar story. Um, it's, it's the same story, but told in a different way. Luke is a Gentile author of the Gospels, and the story sounds a little different. And some people point to this, that this seems contrary to the Matthew account, but Matthew is, is writing very specifically to Israelites, and, and Luke is writing to Gentiles. He's writing to people that aren't believers of faith, and so he's, they contrast things. They look at things a little different, and they highlight different things. The Matthew account seems a little abbreviated compared to this Luke account. So I'm just going to read it and talk about that because that's always people's questions like, what about these contradictions? So here we go. Luke 7, 1 through 10. Now, when he concluded all his sayings in the hearing of the people, he entered Capernaum and a certain centurion's servant who was dear to him was sick and ready to die. So when he heard about Jesus, he sent elders of the Jews to him, pleading with him to come and heal his servant. And when they came to Jesus, they begged him earnestly, saying that the one of for whom he should do this was deserving, for he loves our nation and has built us a synagogue. Then Jesus went with them. And when he was already not far from the house, the centurion sent friends to him, saying to him, Lord, do not trouble yourself, for I am not worthy that you should enter under my roof. Therefore, I did not even think myself worthy to come to you, but say the word and my servant will be healed. For I am also a man placed under authority, having soldiers under me, and I say to one, go, and he goes, and the other, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard these things, he marveled at him, and turned around and said to the crowd that followed him, I say to you, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And those who were sent, returning to the house, found the servant well, who had been sick. Luke 7, 1 through 10. And so we have this uh, kind of this other story that, that first he sends the, the elders of the, the Israelites to go ask Jesus to heal him. Like this servant, the, the centurion has heard about Jesus and he sends Jesus' own people to him. And, and they, they proclaim that the centurion loves our nation, has built us a synagogue. So he has these these works that he's done and the, the, um, the elders are, are bragging about or are, are telling Jesus about his great love for the nation. Then as Jesus gets a little closer, uh, the centurion sends friends, it seems, to tell him that don't even come under my house because it, it kind of, there was a uncleanness that supposedly would happen if a Jew were to enter into a Gentile's house. And and so we know that the, the centurion knows a little bit about the laws and customs of the people. And the the way that you reconcile this is maybe the centurion's there with the friends. Maybe he's standing outside his house when he sees Jesus coming and sends his friends to meet him to say these things for him in, in his his authority and his place. And kind of the same thing that he's asking Jesus to do for him. He's sending others to go <laughs> and to do for him. This authority that, that the centurion's been trained with, he understands it. And so Jesus also understands this authority because he has authority. And so we see, again, Jesus is still marveled at his faith that he would send people to talk to him, that he would still seek for a servant to be healed. And he marvels at this guy's faith. Again, he's an occupying force servant. He's a centurion. He's, he's commander over us, us, like up to 100 people. A lot of people say 100, but some of the things I read say 60 to 80. Sometimes it's 100 because that's where we get century from. But he is an occupying forces servant. He's paid by the Roman government to occupy that land. 
to help put down rebellions, to make sure that people pay taxes, and he treats them with kindness and love. And it's just so amazing the way that Jesus deals with people. Next, we have Matthew 9, 9 through 13, entitled Matthew the Tax Collector. As Jesus passed on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, follow me. So he arose and followed him. Uh, Now it happened as Jesus sat at the table in the house, that behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and sat down with him and his disciples. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? When Jesus heard that, he said to them, those who are well have no need for a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. This is Matthew 9, 9 through 13. And so here we have tax collectors. What's the big deal? It's their job, Jed. Well, historically, the Romans, where they could, would hire locals to do their dirty work. And so tax collectors were all Israelites. They are hired by the the opposing forces, the, the occupying forces of Rome, hire the locals to collect their taxes. And so they were hated, hated as turncoats, as people that turned their back on their own nation and working for the enemy. Like all their other scriptures, tax collectors are like really, really not liked. And they they were seen as kind of like outsiders or foreigners because of what they do and because of their position that they they find themselves in the Roman um, occupying force. And so the religious leaders, the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and even just the everyday Israelites see Jesus eating with these tax collectors. You're eating with the, the, the men of the enemy. You're eating with these people that hate our country so much that they're willing to oppress us by collecting the taxes for the, our enemy, our, the occupying force, Rome. Why do you do that, Jesus? They're awful, bad, evil people. Jesus is like, what? I'm not here for the people that think that they're okay. I'm not here for the people that... that think they've got it all figured out. I'm here for the people that don't have it figured out. The people that that are sinners, that know that they're not righteous. And he tells the Pharisees, those people that think they're righteous, that think they're doing everything right. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Go figure out what that means. I don't come to call the righteous the people that think they're right. I come to call sinners the people that need a savior. Because many of the Pharisees and Sadducees didn't think they needed a Savior. They thought they could do it all their own. They could follow the law so perfectly that they didn't need the Messiah. They didn't need to trust in God. They were trusting in themselves to do and to, they were trusting themselves to get to heaven. And that is not how we find ourselves going to heaven. We trust in Jesus. We trust in God and what he has said and what he has done. So we see Jesus sitting down with tax collectors and sinners. It's not just their job. They're, they're seen as uh, turncoats, as traitors to the, to the Israelite nation. And so we see Jesus treating them kindly, going to them and speaking to them on several occasions. And, and even one of his 12 disciples is one of these tax collectors, Matthew, who's writing this first book uh, or the first gospel that we, we find in the New Testament. And, and Jesus works with all sorts of people that we don't ever expect, people that we don't even think are worthy of God's love. I find that very interesting and very useful information for me in the way that I walk. Next, we've got Matthew 10, 1 through 4. I'm going to highlight verse 4, but Matthew 10, 1 through 4, because you're going to miss it, because it's so quick, and we don't know the culture, and then we don't know anything. So Matthew 10, 1 through 4. And when he came, called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, and John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the tax collector, James the son of Alphaeus, and Lebius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. Now, verse 4 says, Simon the Canaanite. Some translations also say Simon the Zealot. And we don't hear much about Simon the Zealot, but he is what we would call a revolutionist. He's a, re- a rebel. 
he is the zealots were um, an Israelite political group that would fight against the Romans, like in a very real, like guerrilla-like way. They they killed Roman soldiers whenever they met them. They uh, eventually they were actually uh, they grown in numbers and had barricaded themselves inside of I think the temple and the Romans had to burn them out and, and kill them all. Uh, I'll have to double check that story later on, but, but here we, whoa. but here we see a rebel, not just like, Oh, I don't like them. Like all the Pharisees and Sadducees. This is someone that is doing something about it. The zealots were uh, like a, a, a secret order of people that were just so against the Romans that they would kill them whenever they met them by themselves. They They were, assassins and we see matthew the tax collector a turncoat a stool pigeon a someone working for the enemy and simon the canaanite someone working for the this rebellious right-wing gun-toting uh, <laughs> zealous group of israelites and we see that god brings these two very opposite people together one that says oh, the romans are here i'm going to work for them even at the detriment of my own, like, Israelite blood. And this other guy that's like, I'm such an Israelite, like, we're going to fight these Romans to the last, and we're going to kill them, and it's going to be it's gonna be blood. And, and Jesus, through the truth, brings these two people together in the same group, and part of the same apostles. And that's amazing what Jesus does, amazing what the gospel does, is, is unifies people that are on such opposing uh, parties as these two men which is interesting but just adding it in there all right next is matthew 10 16 through 26 behold i send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves therefore be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves but beware of men for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues you will be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour and what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father who speaks in you. Now brothers will deliver up brothers to death, and a father his child and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. And you will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. When the, they persecute you in the city, flee to another. For surely I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a teacher above his master. It is enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher, and a servant like his master. And if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, how much more will they call those of his household? Therefore do not fear them, for there is nothing covered that will not be revealed and hidden that will not be known. So I want to talk about verse 16 through 20, that Jesus is recognizing the councils and of the synagogues, but also before governors and kings, so that our lives would be a testimony to those governors, kings, and Gentiles. And it says that you'll be delivered up. You're going to go through these courts. And, and what he doesn't say is, you're going to be delivered up unjustly. You're going to be, uh, it's going to be awful. You're going to need to fight against the system. You're going to need to change the system. You're going to, you know, you need to rebel. He doesn't say any of that stuff. He says, hey, this is going to happen. And you know what its purpose is? It's so that I can be proclaimed. That I, Jesus Christ, will be your testimony to them so that they might hear and be saved. And we'll see examples of that happening in, in Acts. And what's not said is that we should be rebellious and kill people and fight against governments and split into political parties and argue over what's right and what's wrong. It's it's not like that. It says that this is going to happen. And that brothers will deliver us up to death. And a child his and his father his child and children will raise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. We're going to be hated for Jesus' name's sake.
And here in 23, it says, when they persecute you in the city, flee to another. He's talking about Jerusalem, but he's saying that you're, you're going to be persecuted and it's okay to flee. It's okay to go to another place is what, what I hear and what I read. And this was very specifically for a time and for a purpose because the persecution of the, the Christian Israelites was severe. It, they were dispersed all, all throughout Asia near Middle East. We'll get we'll get to that later on, but but the per persecution is real, and it says flee. If you can flee, flee. Just like uh, Jesus did. <laughs> I skipped this one. Um, when King Herod was in power, when Jesus was first being born, he had the wise men came to him and said, "Where is the new king?" And King Herod said. Oh, I don't know. So he asked the scribes or the, the Pharisees or the, the people of the book, where will the king be born? And so he finds out and instead of going to worship, he sends people to kill babies within that time frame, one to two years old or whatever. And so they flee. Joseph, Mary, and Jesus flee to Egypt. And then they hear that Herod the Great has died. And so they start to come back. But before they get to um, Bethlehem, they hear that his son, Herod Arfax, is, has taken his place, who is apparently not as, who is the same as the father, Herod the Great. So they flee to instead to Nazareth um, because they still feared Herod's son, Herod. And so we still see fleeing as one of those options if we can take advantage of, we should take advantage of. Should we always? No. What what really we need to to rely on is the Lord leading and guiding us. Because in that story, we have angels telling him, warning them, leading them. And we'll look at that again in, in the book of Acts when we look at prisons and f being freed from prisons and the purposes. But but if you're wondering whether you should leave the country or not, seek the Lord. Do what he says. Maybe he says stay. Maybe he says flee seek what the Lord has to say on that. That's that's the, the funny thing about people going to the Bible to try to pull out what what should I do? And they're looking for a rule book. They're looking for a book of black and white answers. And so often the Bible says, seek the Lord. <laughs> that's where we should all be is seek the Lord and what he has to say because he knows what's best for us. And we may have every reason to do thing A, but Jesus says, do B, and we have to do B by faith. We can rebel and we can say no thank you like Jonah did running <laughs> in the complete opposite direction. Um, and that's our choice. And we have to live with those consequences because there are always consequences to being unfaithful to the Lord and not listening to the Lord. And Jesus knows, he's warning us here that things are going to happen. <laughs> We're going to be delivered to court. We're going to be thrown into prison unjustly. And he says, that's great. That's fine. Tell them the truth about me. Don't worry what you're going to say. Don't. So often we, we worry and we think and we, we plan how we're going to say things. And so often Jesus is just like, I'm going to speak through you because so often he has done that through me. He said stuff that I'm like, wow, that was really good. I don't know where that came from, but this must be the Holy Spirit working because I'm not that smart. So there's be faithful. Now, I don't always rely on that when it comes to testimonies that Jesus is very specifically there talking about in front of kings and governors and synagogues, but in front of people and friends and co-workers, yeah, you can rely on the Holy Spirit, but you can also prepare something like your testimony or, you know, hey, you know how we were talking last week about this and that? Have a plan. Share the word with people. Don't just rely on the Holy Spirit to suddenly speak through you. He can do that. We are also called to share the gospel and go make disciples and, and take time to, to love other people and share the truth with them. All right, next we're on John 11. No, no, sorry. Matthew 11, 1 through 19. And this is a story about uh, John the Baptist. It's a little long. Here we go. John, uh, Matthew 11, 1 through 19. Now it came to pass when Jesus finished commanding his 12 disciples that he departed from there to teach and to preach in the cities 
And when John had heard in prison about the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said to him, Are you the coming one, or do we look for another? Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things which you hear and see. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. As they departed, Jesus began to say to the multitudes concerning John, What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken by the wind? What did you go out to see? A man clothed in soft garments? Indeed, those who wear soft clothing are in king's houses. But what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I say to you, and more than a prophet, for this is he of whom it was written, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, you who will prepare your way before you. I'm going to skip down to 18. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say he is a demon. The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, Look, a glutton and a wine-bibber, a friend of tax collectors and sinners, but wisdom is justified by her children. So we're, here we have John the Baptist, who, who came and prepared the way for uh, Jesus, as the scriptures said, is in jail. He's in prison. And we'll, the next verse we'll talk about why he's in prison, but... He's in prison, and we see Jesus not telling them. That's what we don't see that that I want to bring to your attention. John is in prison unjustly. Uh, and Jesus isn't telling them that, oh, fight your oppressors. Throw down the establishment and the government that you live within there. They're awful. Look at how unjust they are. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, hey, this is the man who the scriptures uh, talked about that prepared a way for me. And he was out in the wilderness um, eating insects and wearing really rough clothing and not cutting his hair or beard. When they said that he has a demon, like he's... And then Jesus comes and he comes eating and drinking. And he's friends with tax collectors and sinners. The people that are against us can't agree on who we are because they don't see, they don't know... They make such assumptions that they just will flounder around and flail and kick and insult every way possible, even to the contradiction of themselves. And that's just how life is going to be. And so Jesus does not condemn those who have imprisoned him here, which is really, really weird because it's so unjust. But he's not talking to them. He's there. He's Jesus is telling them about the kingdom that's going to come. The heavenly kingdom that that is now here because of Jesus. So that's an interesting thing for what doesn't he doesn't say. But the next time we we meet John, he's he's dead. And you'll, you'll, here's why he was in prison. Not because he's a thief. Not because he's a murderer. Let's let's see Matthew fourteen one through twenty three, and we're going to skip a few verses in the middle. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard the report about Jesus and said to his servants, This is John the Baptist. He's risen from the dead. And therefore, these powers are at work in him. For Herod had laid hold of John and bound him and put him in prison for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife. This is the reason he was in jail, because John had said to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And although he wanted to put him to death, he feared the multitude because they counted him as a prophet. I'll pause right there. So Herod the Tetrarch took his brother Philip's wife and married her. He didn't kill his brother. He just took his wife. He liked her and wanted her and now has her. And John spoke truth. You shouldn't do that. And that's why John the Baptist was put into prison for speaking truth to people. Now that seems pretty unjust and unfair. And it is, but it gets worse. But when Herod's birthday was celebrated, the daughter of Herodias, the woman that... <laughs> John was speaking out against, danced before them and pleased Herod. Therefore, he promised with an oath to give her whatever she might ask. So she, having been prompted by her mother, said, Give me John the Baptist's head on a platter. And the king was sorry, nevertheless, because of the oath and because of those who sat with him, he commanded it to be given to her. So he sent and had John beheaded in prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. Then his disciples came and took away the body and buried it and went to and told Jesus. 
Verse 13. When Jesus heard it, he departed from there by boat to a deserted place by himself. But when the multitudes heard it, they followed him on foot from the cities. Pause there. So, not only is he in prison unjustly, he's beheaded because of a girl pleased um, Herod the Tetrarch through her dancing. And, and the mother of the girl didn't like John the Baptist speaking truth and slandering her quote-unquote good name, which is not a good name. We have all this injustice and it's not right. They shouldn't do that. And I agree. It's not fair. Jesus, when he hears about it, he goes to a deserted place to be by himself. He, he goes to, to mourn his, his cousin, the prophet, John the Baptist. He doesn't, he doesn't go storming anywhere, flipping over tables. He accepts what has happened to John the Baptist. Again, remember, he's got legions he can call down. Before this even happened, he knows the beginning from the end. He doesn't do those things. Um, 14, and when he saw the great multitude, and he was moved with compassion, and healed their sick. So, so for me, whenever someone does something against me, whenever I get offended, I get riled up, and I get agitated. You know, that's my wife, and I just will talk about, oh, can you believe... Do you realize how stupid, like, I just get all riled up in the flesh, and and it's not God's way. It's it's my own human um, idea of what justice should look like, or what it should be. And Jesus doesn't do that. And we see that he goes and heals, and teaches, and eventually feeds the 5,000. And they all ate and were filled. And then verse 22, immediately Jesus made his disciples get into the boat and go there before him to the other side while he sent the multitudes away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. Now when evening came, he was alone there. So we see Jesus gets interrupted in his mourning. And so often we have so much stuff that we have to do in our mourning. When we hear that a loved one has passed away, when we hear that someone something terrible has happened, we want to go mourn and just be alone and... Jesus has compassion on people. Instead of demanding his right to be alone to grieve, he heals them, he feeds them, he teaches them. And then he goes away and finds time to pray and to grieve. Interesting story. Interesting to see how Jesus responds to this. Matthew 20, 25 through 28. But Jesus called them to himself and said, You know the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those who are great ex exercise authority over them. Yet it shall not be so among you. But whoever desires to become great among you, let him be your servant. And whoever desires to be first among you, let him be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. So Matthew twenty twenty-five through 28, we see Jesus talking about the rulers of the Gentiles. Those are us. That's us. That's, those are all the people. And that they rule over them, exercise authority over them, and like press them into being servants for them. And Jesus tells us, Christians and those disciples, hey, don't be like that. Don't be, don't lord it over people. Don't make people do stuff for you. You need to come and be a servant. And, and I hate seeing, I've seen it, I hate seeing pastors that are the ones that just sit and get served. And everything gets brought to them. Their lunch gets brought to them. The, the Everything. They're, people worship people and it's scary. Even inside the church. So I, I caution you, keep an eye on your pastor, on who you're being taught by. Who's, who's sharing the word with you and see how he is a servant or if he requires people to be a servant to him. Because men, by their own power, are going to seek to be served. They're going to seek that excessive authority. And they're going to revel in it and they're going to enjoy it. Because their hearts are not in the right places. And as men of God, as women of God, all of us need to seek to serve others. And go out of our way to serve them and... And not lord it over people. Even if we 
um, have the authority, even if we are uh, the elder or senior in the company, or we're going to talk about this next week in Abraham. Abraham is the elder to Lot. And instead of Abraham saying, I'm going to take whatever I want to take first, and Lot, you can have whatever's left over, we see in his meekness, um, him raising up Lot to make the choice first. We, we see, though he could have, taken the choice land he allowed lot to make the choice first and so often that's not what our culture and our world um do encourage teach it's me first i need to climb up the corporate ladder however that means pushing other people down and jesus says we serve other people and by serving other people, we become great in his kingdom. And that's the where I want to be great. I want to be great in his kingdom. I don't want to be great in the workplace here. I, through me being humble, maybe uh, someone will see my works and lift me up, but I'm not depending on that. I'm being humble and I'm serving others because it's what Jesus calls me to do. And it's what helps the entire community when we're serving one another, helping one another. So keep your eye on your leaders. Uh, specifically in churches, because they're the ones that should be living by this way. They should be the ones that should be seeking to serve. Hi. Uh, Matthew twenty-two, fifteen through 22. Another, this is my, so I, I really like to look at these two when we're talking about government, and especially Roman government. We have um, the centurion story, which is Jesus dealing with a soldier that has probably killed people and enslave them and maybe have watched over his soldiers nailing them to crosses and that's how jesus dealt with the centurion and here we have the pharisees asking is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar matthew 22 15 through 22 then the pharisees went and plotted how they might entangle him in his talk jesus of course and they sent to him their disciples with the herodians saying teacher we know that you are true and teach the way of god and truth nor do you care about anyone for you do not regard the person of men tell us therefore what do you think is it lawful to pay taxes to caesar or not when people first before i keep going when people come and butter you up and and try to elevate you with their words be careful <laughs> This is like, just be careful when people, when you start to feel puffed up, look out. They're trying to trap you. So, uh, verse 18. But Jesus perceived their wickedness, their their words of flattery and their, their tricky question. He perceived their wickedness and said, Why do you test me, you hypocrite? Show me the tax money. So they brought him a denarius. And he said to them, Whose image and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And he said to them, Render therefore to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard these words, they marveled and left him and went their way. Now, I love this story. I've heard it a couple times in a couple different ways. And we have money by the grace of God, but we have money by the grace of the government that we have. The government has authority to print money and to say what its value is. And so we see these people asking, should I pay taxes? And you don't have money because um, of any other reason, but because there is a government that's over you, that's, that's providing your protection, that's building your roads, that's doing foreign trade and foreign policy things. They're the ones that give us this money. Now, yes, ultimately, God is in control and in charge of all of these things, but we're living within a, a society, a government that prints money. That money is theirs. It's their property. They basically lend to us so that we can pay them back. And we can argue about this, and we can talk about gold and silver, but here we're talking about the taxes. I get paid in what this Caesar's money. I get paid in American dollars. Well, guess what? I owe America dollars back because that's what their laws say. And I love the way that this ends. That, yeah, Caesar's deserving of, of honor and respect. We should pay those taxes back. Not that we should worship him as God. That's not what he's saying here. But that those things that are made, rendered in the image of God... Those things belong to God. And do you know that you, listener, 
are made in the image of God. Every single person on this planet is made in his image, and therefore they should render their life, their service, to the one that rendered them God Almighty. And uh, there are stories that, you know, the, the way that they stamped the coins, especially back then, they were, they were literally stamped with two hammers with uh, two molds on either side of the hammers to make the coins. And because you're taking this flat coin and then pressing the image in with force, you can grind off the top of the coin and then you can throw it in an acid wash and, and a couple other ways. And because of the density of where the hammer hits deeper, it makes that material more dense and that material that wasn't compressed is much more light the acid will eat away in a certain way that you can bring that image back so to say that all you're made in the image of god no matter what kind of scarring you do what kind of hair color you change your hair to blue black white neon green you shave it all off whatever happens to you if you lose a limb if you have something removed surgically you're still made in the image of god even if you're marred what seems like beyond recognition you're still made in that image, no matter what you do. You still owe your life to God. You still owe your taxes to the government. Sorry. And next week we're going to look at the, the Israelite um, rules, but there are Israelite taxes too. They're a temple tax. Not an offering, a temple tax. So there there is double taxation in Jesus' day, and he pays both of them. Just for few future spoiler alert. Pay your taxes. Matthew 24, 4 through 51. Here's a long section com- talking about um, the coming of, of Jesus. Now, verse 9, I'm not going to read all of it. They will deliver you up to tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will be offended, will betray one another, and will hate one another. Many false prophets will arise. So we're talking about people being delivered up and killed, and it doesn't say fight back. It doesn't say take up arms. And it talks about the great tribulation, which is going to be something. And it ends with 45 through 51. Who then is faithful and wise servant, whom his master made ruler over his household to give them food in due season? Blessed is that servant whom his master, when he comes, will find so doing. Assuredly, I say to you that he will make him ruler over all his goods. But if that evil servant says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and begins to beat his fellow servants and eat and drink with the drunkards, the master of that servant will come on a day when he is not looking for him and an hour that he is not aware of and will cut him in two and appoint him his portion for the hypocrites. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. The whole section is about the end times of the tribulation and how we will be delivered up and killed and all sorts of terrible things will happen. And he tells this parable at the very end that says, those that are faithful and wise servants are going to do what the the master has asked them to do, who will, will treat others with fairness and kindness. And if you ever find yourself in a position to deal with other people, especially other servants that, that serve the Lord, how much you should do so faithfully and wisely and not beat them. And eat with and drink with drunkards, you know, taking excess, taking excess. And we'll be repaid for the way that we we walk and the way that we act and the way that we we live in this world, and we need to be careful of that. There is authority. There is God above us, and we need to be aware of that. We're going to look at that in the letters, that, that there is a God who gives authority, and that we need to respect the authority that God has placed on others. We've got three more. This is Luke 14, 25 through 33. And it's a repeat. 
Now great multitudes went with him, and he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you intending to build a tower does he not sit down first and count the cost, whether he has enough to finish it, at least after he has said the has laid the foundation and is not able to finish it, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going to make war against another king, does not sit down first and consider whether he is able with 10,000 to meet with him who comes against him with 20,000? Or else, while the other is still a great ways off, he sends a delegation and asks conditions of peace. So likewise, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. What does this have to do with Roman government? Well, you see, we can follow what the government says. We can do exactly as the government has asked us to do. We can live a life that seems quote-unquote good compared to our our current culture and standards and laws. And I can never break the law, but that does not make me right with God. Here is saying, count the cost. Follow me this day or forsake me we need to consider the cost to follow in christ and if it means that we're uncomfortable we're going to have to carry our cross that we're going to have to obey the laws of the land where they don't contradict what the lord has said then then maybe we don't need to speed down the highway maybe we don't need to cut in line cheat on our taxes whatever the laws are of the land we're not doing it to the government. We're not doing things because we're not going to get caught. We're doing things for the Lord. And we need to count that cost. Like, what are you doing? How are you doing it? Are you prepared to follow Jesus all the way? Or will you lay that foundation and then abandon the project and stick to the Lord? Luke eighteen nine through 14 Also he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me a sinner i tell you this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted this is luke 18 9 through 14 and again here's a tax collector who knows his standing and who is being belittled right there in a prayer to god and i hate when people belittle other people in prayer that's just not how we should use prayer this Pharisee was exalting himself. This tax collector knew what a sinner he was. And he said, be merciful on me. And so we see again, it's not his position. It's not his uh, relationship. It's not, well, it's not his bloodline with Israel. It's not his relationship to Abraham. It's only his relationship to God that matters. It doesn't matter how good you look on the outside, what job you have, how awful of a person you may seem to other people. You need to walk before the Lord and you need to seek to be justified to God through faith rather than through other people who who look better, who smell nicer, who look like they have everything put together. Don't worry about the outside. Don't worry about how things look. Worry about being humbled on the inside and seeking to be justified by the Lord. It's only through faith can we be justified. And finally, Luke 19, 1 through 10. Another tax collector story in the book of Luke. Then Jesus entered the and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus who was a chief tax collector. And he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him. For he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. When they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. 
Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give a half of my good to the poor, and if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So Zacchaeus is a chief tax collector. He's not just one of a town. He's maybe one over a bunch of towns. So he gets a little bit of a cut from all the other tax collectors. He gets paid by the Romans. And he's hated. He's seen as a sinner. Guess what? I don't know if anyone has told you this, but you're a sinner. I'm a sinner. Everyone's a sinner that that has a mom and a dad for, for their parents. Like, we're all sinners. We see God, Jesus manifest having mercy and peace on him and we see Zacchaeus's life being changed by this encounter he becomes a son of Abraham not because of blood but because of his faith that's how we become sons of Abraham is through faith and Jesus the son of man has come to seek and save that which is lost and here the Roman government it's not talked about. You're you're unjustly doing these things. You shouldn't take these extra things. Jesus isn't lecturing him. Through this encounter, Zacchaeus knows what he needs to do and what he needs to get out of his life. How he needs to be obedient to the Lord. But he doesn't have to be told. He doesn't have to be lectured. How amazing that is that God sends his Holy Spirit into the world to convict us of our sin. So here we get done looking at all the Roman interactions that I could kind of muster up. And some of them, you might say, that wasn't very good. Well, that's, that's what I have. There's not a lot there to, to build a theology that says that we should rebel against evil leaders. There's just not. We see grace, peace, compassion, forgiveness. And we'll see it even more the next three weeks as Jesus deals with the Israelites. And then the two trials that he'll go through. Sorry, this has gone a little long, but this, we just went through all the Gospels and all these encounters of Jesus and the Roman law and their servants and the, like citizenship. He, he really doesn't have a whole lot to say about government. He has a lot to say about our n- nature and how sinful we are. And he has a lot to say about how we need to be just falling at his feet and asking for forgiveness. And seeking to follow him and not prioritizing government over him. There, We see Jesus wanting us to walk according to his will, not to some man-made will. We'll get it more into that as we get into the Acts and the, the epistles of how do we walk more of following the rules and the government. And here's spoiler, he says follow the law. <laughs> As far as you can, follow the law unless it contradicts what what God has said, like worshiping idols and kings and stuff like that. So I pray that you'll be blessed this week and wherever you are, however you're listening to this, um, praying for you. I pray that the Lord will lead you and speak to you through through these things that we, we went through. Lord God, please be with anyone and everyone that's listening to this. If I misspoke, Lord God, I pray that you clarify and, and bring bring truth to what we're studying here, Lord God. I pray that you'd help us to understand the stories, the, the recording that you had done so that we can see your life and how you lived and how you walked and how you dealt with sinners like us. God, I pray that we'd, be, we'd draw closer to you. In Jesus' holy name I pray. Amen.